You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Oh, no, trust me, it's been beaten into my brain. (sighs) All right, well, we are about to start. Please bear with. I'm just going to make sure the volume is off. There we go. Do, do, do. Do, 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 do. Two minutes now. Um. <laughs> huh. Go on. Not much for me to really say here other than uh really wish I had more backup here. I'm no. feeling a bit on the spot. Yeah, well, Paul, this is this is how we're gonna we're gonna make a man out of you by doing this. <laughs> we're just gonna get you on. Don't worry though, no, you only gotta you only gotta fill pre show content for one more minute. Uh well um quick, make a bunch of Super Bowl jokes, go. I don't know anything about football. Oh, or sorry, right. hand egg. Well, so much for that. I know that two people are gonna hand egg at each other. And those people are going to be backed up by their teams. Whoever, whoever hand eggs the hardest wins. There's my extent of football knowledge. Yep. All right. One more. Okay. Yep. It's time. Oh, Y'all ready for this, Paul? I'm ready for this. All right. Because I'm going to aggressively slide over. So. All right. We're starting the show now. Excellent. Aggressively slide the frame. All right, everybody, welcome to 3DM's podcast. Today we are talking about VLANs um, and also got big news with the Tome of Foes being announced. But before we launch into all of that, uh, we record out of the podcast Detroit Studios every week in Royal Oak. So if you're in Southeast, let's try that again. If you're in Southeastern Michigan and you would like to start your own podcast, it's as easy as going to podcastdetroit.com and getting yourself all set up. Uh, very affordable, super comfortable studios, great equipment, great people to work with. You want to start your own podcast, check out Podcast Detroit today if you're in the southeastern Michigan area. Chances are good you're not going to have an easy time with your So today we are the 2DMs podcast because nobody loves us, Paul, <sighs> except for you, except well, for you. Everybody else listening, you still love us. We try our best. 
Um, before we get going on to uh, just another plug for our giveaway. I'm pretty sure if you're watching, you already you already know about it a little bit, but we're trying to hit that magical 500 like number on Facebook. So if you want to win a free Dungeons and Dragons book of your choice for fifth edition, please just go to our Facebook page. Give us a like when we get to 500, we're going to pick two lucky winners to each receive a book of their choice. A non-special edition book, I should clarify. Yeah, just because we're not going to sit there and eBay poach. Although... Um, and this is what the professionals like to call a segue. We might be able to pull the Tome of Foes. It's possible. As a special edition. We'll see. Contest might be wrapping up around then at, at the rate of growth we've been achieving. So, um, before we talk about villains, which is our big set piece for the week, uh, we've got some news. Um, Friday, it was announced that Morden Kynan's Tome of Foes is the next book to be released. One of three this year, from my yep. understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, it is going to be dropping in May. It is 192 pages. Uh, let's see. What else, what other specifics we do do we have on it? Uh, we it's know- going to have a lot of extra planar monsters, from what I understand. Yeah, they've, they've been very light on the reveal. There's going to be – it's going to be $50 like every other book. It's going to be – it's going to have two covers. There's going to be – Pages in the middle with writing <laughs> yeah, on them. Pages with writing. Um, we know it's supposed to be another book that has a bunch of random content in it, kind of like Volos. Like Volos is combination player's handbook to slash monster manual to slash couple other little things. Um, so is Xanathar's. is more of a player's handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide combined. But. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's – but they're talking about a lot of planner stuff is what I'm reading a lot in the product description. So that'll be neat. Planner stuff is um, supposedly the bread and butter of high-level games because by the time you get to uh, you know, 12th level or 13th level, something you can mow through most of an army without using up half your resources for the day. So Yeah. It's kind of a problem. But well, well, yeah, it's, you solve that by sending more and more dangerous monsters at them from more and more rarefied locations. Yeah. But though speaking about monsters uh, – what are you hoping is going to be in the Tome of Foes? Well, uh, some some stuff that didn't quite make it into the Monster Manual. There was I was actually really happy with the fifth edition Monster Manual because they got like a lot of stuff, like aboliths and other things that were like more obscure and hidden in other books before. Like they got a lot of really good stuff in the yeah. original Monster Manual. Well, um, personally, I'm hoping for a couple. You know, I always talk down about third edition, and there, it had its problems, but there are some really cool monsters in the Monster Manual three, four, and five. Probably my personal favorites are um, from Monster Manual 3 will be the Corpse Collector, which is a golem that collects corpses for necromancers by sticking them on spikes in its giant iron uh, iron body, yep. which is hardcore. <laughs> There's Neat. the uh, the Battle Walker, I believe, which is an angry fae that thrives on battlegrounds, which is a very different change from the usual fae archetypes we see. Mm-hmm. And lastly, there's the Living Spell, which is an ooze that has the effects of one spell sort of embedded into it, and it roams around magical places and eats magic. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward. I really want – because I've already adapted one for my own use because it was one of my favorite monsters. It was in uh, the 3.5 Monster Manual 2 book, and that is the Runic Guardian. Ah, yes. It's something I want to see a official 5e template for because it was yeah it's really cool it's just a shield guardian but it's got a bunch of spells written into it yeah and it's you know spell cast and golem it's sweet pretty intelligent what's more to like um what's not to like there you go also uh i'm trying to remember what they're called they're like ocean giants but they're not like they're giants but they're 
like walking orcas. Oh, geez. I, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it. If somebody knows what we're talking about in the comment section, please uh, please hit us up. Yeah. Uh, Unlikely to happen, but no, it's it's pretty obscure. No, it's an ocean strider. That's what it is. Ah, well, there you go. Never mind, guys. Sorry. Yeah, figured it out. Just Beat took it, a second. Beat to the punch. Yep. Uh, no, those were ridiculous and cool. And also, you could apparently, like, they had an adjusted character level if you were to play them as a class of plus 17. Yeah, well. <laughs> Hey guys, I'm a level one ranger. I'm also able to fight a dragon. <laughs> Supposedly. Uh, Third edition. Yeah, but there are uh, a couple of the previews I saw, like they're going to be adding more devils, more angels, uh, some more celestial stuff, more demonic stuff. Looking forward to it. I mean, it's going to be nice to get more monsters. I mean, that between that and the, uh, what is it, the creature codex that the that Kobold Press is making? Yeah. Uh, between that and then the Tome of Beasts and then Volos, uh, we're officially about to be up to our knickers in monsters to use. So as a DM, makes me pretty happy. Moving on. Uh, but There's if, not much to say at the moment. Nothing's been revealed. So. Yeah, nothing's been revealed. Uh, all the reveals are being done tomorrow, Monday, uh, February. What day is it? It's the 5th, I believe, right now. <laughs> I'm so Ron Burgundy. Uh it is the 4th, so tomorrow is the 5th. Oh, yeah. I'm smart. So, mm-hmm, well, uh, yeah, so Monday the 5th, all the details are going to be revealed uh, specifically on what's happening with that book. Uh, if you guys have anything you're looking forward to making a dramatic return to 5e, uh, let us know in the comments uh, or shoot us a message or whatever. So. But besides all that, let's, let's talk get, about why they're important. Yeah. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's not waste any more time here is what you're saying. Yeah, the uh, the big topic of the day, villains. An essential part of pretty much any Dungeons & Dragons campaign that's more than just running around smashing doors and then killing anything that's in the room in a sort of glorified home invasion style. Yeah. Um, so before we really launch super into villains, this is going to be a two-part thing. We're going to talk about this next week. Or uh, hopefully other people will be able to show up that time. Yeah, when, our, uh, when the rest of our Motley crew is going to be here. But today we are going to talk about just the basics of building villains, how we like to do it, and the story aspect of things rather than the mechanical aspect of things. Yeah. We'll get to the mechanical things next week. So villains. An essential part of every D and D game and usually what every every single uh plot thread revolves around. I was gonna say what every single DM spends like just a little bit too much time on. Well, yeah, there's a it's a delicate art to say it, Dan. Put lightly. There's a lot that needs to get done for villains, and it's very easy to do it wrong. And the problem is you won't know until your players encounter them, right? Because so, what you might think is super cool, your players would think is overplayed and lame. Very true. So let's let's start out at the at the you know at the beginning. You finished your world map. You got your players. Uh, they've you know they've fought and killed some goblins in a cave. Woohoo! Um, they've done a couple of small quests. It's you know now now that they've got the you know it's time to get a sort of plot thread going. Yeah, and it's time you know now that they've gotten a little adjusted, it's time for you to put you know put a plot thread in and start running the game. And this is where you have to start introducing consistent villains. Yes, and hopefully more than one. One villain's fine, but it just doesn't have the same gravitas if they just keep appearing everywhere. Like, do they not have a day job? <laughs> so, first things first. Let's uh, let's let's discuss, you know, so you're sitting there, you're sitting in your room, uh, you're doing your plotting or wherever you do your plotting. I do a lot of my plotting on the toilet. 
you're sitting there, you're trying to figure out who, what do I, what do I want to make? Who's this bad guy going to be? Who, what, uh, when, where, why? Yeah. So let's start out with building block one. Um, is your setting more of a black and white setting or is it shades of gray? It's an interesting conceit and neither of them is particularly wrong, but we should probably clarify. Uh, as I'm sure people in, in this comment section already know, black and white morality assumes that the people are always good or always bad and there's no middle ground. Whereas uh, shades of gray is people are bad in varying degrees and almost nobody's perfectly good. But there's also nobody who's absolute evil either. So the problem with the uh, the first scenario is it feels unrealistic because people are either squeaky clean and bright and happy and shiny or they're wicked and evil. And there's not really much middle ground in that because most people aren't, you know, one of these two ideals. But on the other hand, in an, a more idealistic work – Having a character who's driven solely by their lust for gold seems a bit out of place. Yeah. Like sometimes they don't pay their taxes and they kick puppies, but they're also fighting evil. just looks ridiculous in, say, Star Wars. Yeah. So with – you know, ultimately this stuff usually depends on personal preference and who you're playing for because there are some people who don't like playing in Shades of Grey, you know, like – this for some people, you know, it's this is D and D, this is fantasy, this is escapism. It's supposed you know. to be high fantasy, not dealing with politics. Yeah, and taxes. dealing with politics and taxes, and oh God, if I wanted to do that, I'd just get involved with city council. Um, <laughs> but you have more power here. Yeah, no, you have more power here. Yeah, you can bring a sword to the city council meeting. I'm pretty sure if I were to do that to my local city council meeting, the cops would be called immediately. Oh yeah. So besides that, besides that though, so you know, black and white. Shades of gray, however you want to do it. Um, but, but depending on how you're doing it, it's going to affect how your villains work. Yes. So let's let's just name drop a couple of very black and white um, villains as compared to like shades of gray villains. Uh, so if we actually look at the holy trinity of gateway nerd culture, uh, as we were discussing in the car, which is Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars. Star Wars. Thank you. Um there you go. That's the word you're looking for. Yep. <laughs> if we look at that Holy Trinity, all of those are definitely set in a world of good, bad. There is occasional like – Questionable but not evil characters. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of people who work on a Shades of Grey scale. Um, but when you look at all the major characters in those stories, it, they're either very, very good or they're very, very bad. Yeah, they're, I mean Lord Voldemort is about as – deep onto the far end of the black morality as you get. Yeah. Where he's, I'm evil because I'm evil. Yeah, it's Fallout 3. He's got negative 1,000 karma. <laughs> um, but when it comes to black and white villains and you look at all three of those, every single big bad guy in each of those stories is basically just a – A jerk. A monolith of evil. They don't really – they might have motivations, but those motivations don't necessarily condone the level of – enormous jackassery that's involved. Yeah. The Emperor is – the Emperor from Star Wars is just a monolith of evil. He's um, just a jerk. Yeah. He just wants power to destroy. Voldemort is a monolith of evil. He just wants to take power and destroy. Sauron is a monolith of evil. Yeah. He just wants to take power and destroy. They all do well, okay, the let's same be fair. Thing. Those last two just want to take power and rule. Rule and – but also destroy. Um, Voldemort wants to get rid of all the half-blood – like he wants to get rid of all muggles and half-blood r- wizards. He wants and pure And the least blood. subtle comparison to the Nazis of all time. Yeah. Sauron also has 
somewhat similar ideals and is also a pretty – Sauron's motivations are complex and this is unfortunately because Tolkien did not actually decide to tell you anything about Sauron in the books. He's yeah. just kind of there. He's just kind of there and he's just kind of big and ominous. But at the same time, some of the little stuff he does do is still uh, very like, indicative of the Hitler influence, which I guess is something we should talk a little bit about because, I mean – It's a pretty big – it's used quite frequently. Well, it is used quite frequently because, I mean, for the last 70 years or so, I mean, Hitler and or Nazis, like that parable is the easiest way to. This is a bad guy. Yeah, this is a bad guy. And they usually have like, you know, very charismatic uh, swarms and legions of people who follow them blindly and will do whatever they say. Fanatic mooks, if you will. Yep. And then usually when the big bad guy is taken out of power, they all go, well, I didn't mean to. See you later. Yeah, no, I uh, I didn't do anything wrong the entire time. I'm out of here. Yeah, no, I, if I if I didn't follow him, he said he was going to kill me. <laughs> I'm actually not a jerk. <sighs> well, but in a black and white setting, that kind of makes sense. It makes like, sense, though. There are yeah, there are just going to be those beings of pure evil, and most people are not viscous, viscous fonts of evil. Yeah. So, and the party is obviously there to be the counter um, and to smack them. Shades of Grey we, is where we get into Game of Thrones territory where it's like you like every character but you also kind of hate every character a little bit. Like everybody's I mean, there's good people in those worlds. There but. is good people but then there's, you know, a lot of them are a little rough around the edges. Uh, a great Shades of Grey villain from Game of Thrones using Game of Thrones uh, as an example is Tywin Lannister. The more you play Crusader Kings, the more you sympathize with him. So. I know. <laughs> Well, the, what makes Tywin so great as a villain is the fact that he just he, – he was driven since he was a little kid to make House Lannister great again. Make House Lannister great again. Successfully did that was uh, basically ruled the country as hand of the king because – The uh, regent, if you will. Well, hand, he was the hand of the king because uh, the Mad King was, uh, shall we say, bad at his job. Just a little, just a little, a little mentally just unstable. A little bad at his job. Uh, Surprisingly, the, a guy called the Mad King yeah. is – Pretty crazy. Uh, Shock. And then after that, he, you know, now all the all the stuff boils over and everything happens. His whole goal is still just to keep his family on top. And he does very vicious, very ruthless things. But at the same time. It's necessary or at least he thinks it's necessary. He to- thinks it's necessary and you show him uh, – you see him show compassion and kindness and, uh, you know, he's a very stern father figure and he has like a – He's very certain aspects that he wants, but there's parts of him that are likable. He's not just a monster who's, you know, kill everybody, burn the babies, you know, salt the earth, all that. He just wants to win a war and make sure that his family comes out on top. Yeah. Solid Shades of Grey villain. But if you don't want to run a political game, that is fine. That said, politics are not generally speaking Dungeons & Dragons forte because most of your tools, so to speak, are uh, a hammer. I can hit things really hard and you want me to solve this long-standing racial feud between two neighboring countries? Probably not going to go well. There's probably going to be some stabbing involved. All right. So let's get a little bit of – let's get some definitions out here on the table. Um, let's try to define really quick too the difference between a villain and an antagonist. Yes, because every single monster your players are going to run across isn't necessarily a villain because most of them have no names. They don't really need much of a personality. And that they're pretty much solely to be fought. Owl bears. <laughs> a wizard did it. Yeah. 
Um, other well, other there's other things too that can be considered an antagonist. You know, if you're writing a traditional story, for example, uh, you a know, difficult scenario that needs to be overcome. Basically, yeah, a massive storm and there's you know say you're in the lowlands and there's flooding that's an antagonist situation um another good antagonist situation is the tarasque if we're going to the very extreme spectrum uh because a tarasque unless you've made an intelligent tarasque why would you do that good god why have you no compassion man um some people just like some people, people watching suffer. some people like playing sim city and then Throwing, taking their world the meteor and, then, button. and then hitting the meteor button, yeah. Uh, but a Tarrasque is a very good example of a – An antagonistic force that cannot really be a villain. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's something that needs to be resolved, but – It's not like you're going to debate about why it's doing this. Yeah. You know why it's doing this. Yeah, you can't you can't talk the Tarrasque down unless you're a bard. Even then, it's going to be a <laughs> And even then, go. it's going to be impossible. The bard thing was a joke. Uh, but villains – are plotters, schemers. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a villain needs to have a few things to be not acceptable necessarily, but to be, geez, what's the word? Like passable, quality. Enough that you won't feel ashamed to use it. They need to have a few things. They need to have a motivation that makes sense, or if it doesn't make sense, uh, make it consistently not make sense. Yeah. Uh, they need to have a, a way to do things, what they're doing, and an origin for the villain. Yeah. Um, now it, again, it all comes down to style and it all comes down to, um, what your players catch on to. But I usually find that, um, you know, when you're thinking about what kind of villain you want to do, you obviously really have to take into account what your players are like. Oh yeah. Um, right to your audience. Yeah. I've had villains who, um, like very narcissistic, you know, uh, I'm pretty good at talking smack as a DM to my players. I'm pretty good at getting into character and, uh, you know, saying some mean things Laying to my players. Will be yeah. And I've had some parties that just don't care. They're just like, oh, yeah, he's talking. Yeah, I bet he'll keep talking after I hit him with a sword. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> there have been other parties, though, that when I start talking all that hot shit, they get real upset. They're just like, I want to kill him. 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 But then I've had the opposite effect happen. I've had beast monster type characters and we'll get into archetypes in a second but i've had these monster you know just like these their whole job is like they they talk a little bit and then and, they attack you and then they're just monsters of combat and i've had parties run into those and like deal with them and survive and be like well that was stupid and then i've had other parties like so galvanized and they're just like we got to find him we got to track him down we got to murder him so understanding your audience is going to be core to designing your villain let's look at raw archetypes really quick very um, briefly or not very briefly but briefly. i do believe we shared uh a link to a uh asset we used earlier it's an article about basically 28 different types of villains uh archetypes for writing a lot of these are applicable to D. some of them are a little less so a little less so but for the most part it actually makes really good reading and it's a decent resource to have when you're planning a villain uh we'll be sure to put it up on our website oh yeah i forgot to mention that we got a we have a website now uh oh, imagine that yeah uh so we'll be sure to put it on the website uh you can find the website on the facebook but Let's go over some of these because a lot of these frame very well for big, bad, evil guy writing. Yeah. Big, bad, evil guy is the main villain that currently exists in your campaign. Yes. The, uh, you know, the the mover and shaker of all things dickish. 
so to speak, uh, at, at this period in time. Um, what a jerk. So let's let's just go over some of these uh, various archetypes. Uh, the first one is obviously the mastermind. Which is the big one for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, this big is the bad. character that's planning things. They have a reason to do things. They know what they want to do and they're trying to figure out how they're going to do it. Yeah. At its best, this is Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes is a great example oh, yeah. of a mastermind, big, bad, evil guy. He, you know, comes out of the darkness, you know, and he's he's the antithesis of our hero and he is able to cause problems and, you know, by the he time needs you, the hero to solve them, he needs the hero to solve them. And by the time the hero realizes who it is, it's already too late. His plan has, has succeeded now on the opposite side of that, though, um, I think the Vince McMahon <laughs> Meme. Uh, it's me, Austin. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, from the late 90s with The Undertaker, that bit, the opposite of effective. It, it, gave, us, it gave us that great meme of, it was me, Austin. It was me all along. But other than that, uh, that's bad mastermind writing. Uh, Just what a twist. Secretly, yeah. they were behind this the entire time. Yeah. Um, so the idea with like a mastermind type character is that. You usually have very little interaction with them. Oh, yeah. Um, You're not going to meet them face-to-face for a long time, but you'll start to see bits and pieces of their work and start recognizing, like, their signatures, so to speak. And you'll notice that things are kind of coming together over time. Basically, the best way to do this in a Dungeons & Dragons game is to sit down and lay out a plot of what they want and how are they going to do that. But you don't want to tell them the PCs out and out what's going on, but you want them to piece it together from the things they find the – mastermind doing right so the mastermind is going to be a character that is almost always operating in the background when we go back to that holy trinity that we referred to at the beginning um sauron and the emperor uh from lord of the rings and star wars respectively are pretty prime examples of mastermind type characters you see the emperor very little uh you see sauron obviously very little he's just a great flaming eye and the emperor only sits there just to yell at Darth Vader a little bit, but even not that much. Um, obviously, Luke doesn't even meet the Emperor fully until the return of the Jedi. Like the very last scene. Yeah, the like the very last scene in the movie. Like that's that's kind of what this mastermind archetype is for. A, a mastermind is also – like they may be high level. They might pose a decent threat, but they're – really not supposed to be fighting and they should be worse at it than their henchmen. Yes. And that actually brings us to our next example of an archetype. Uh, this one on the list, just to keep the the resource that we used, uh, just to keep it congruent with that, this one is called the dragon. Yes, it's a traditional. Also, we should note, most dragons are not dragons. Yeah. <laughs> so Confusing, I know. Yeah, most dragons are masterminds. We'll Try to clarify that a little better, I suppose. Uh, but let's get on with the explanation of dragons. So the dragon archetype, so to speak, is the right-hand man of the mastermind. This is the mover and shaker. This is the person who's out in the field actually Who doing does anything. what the mastermind is setting up. And this is usually the guy that the party encounters. Yes, this is usually the main threat that the party is going to encounter from the mastermind. Obviously, the best example of the dragon as an archetype for a villain um, as it exists is Darth Vader. Yeah, he pretty much down. is the main example on what everyone else apes. It's just Darth Vader is – he's intimidating. He's cool. He's much better than the heroes at their jobs. Yep. And he's mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Exactly. And he commands a lot of respect. Um, 
he yeah, he cuts a very intimidating figure and is a constant thorn in RPC's yeah. sides. Or other they're more of a thorn in his side, all told. Yes. But he frequently tracks them down successfully. I mean, like the scene in Cloud City, you know, where he's just sitting there in the dining room, just like, hey kids, didn't see me coming, did you? Uh <laughs> makes, what a twist. Yeah. Um, but what makes him so effective uh, as a villain archetype is this is the this is going to be the villain that is usually going to butt heads with your party. Yes, this is the villain type where uh, they are going to very often, mo- more often than most, um, attack your party or do things like with their y- unique stamp on it. You know, they're going to be the ones you know where the party is just like riding into a town or whatever, and then in the middle of the night, you know, it's like. Oh, Lord, Lord Dickish just showed up and, you know, with his 20 men and they've tracked us to a tavern and he's just going to sit outside on a horse while the guards all charge into the tavern, you know, and then he's going to do this to you. He's going to point his fingers in his eyes and then at you and then back to his eyes and then back to you as you, you know, butcher your way through his 20 guys. And he's going to ride off. Yeah. And then either he's going to ride off or he's going to come in after you, at which point, you know, it's usually, a, oh, no. Yeah, it's time to flee. It's That's time to a, run away. Um, it's kind of difficult because Dungeons and Dragons doesn't necessarily lead its lend itself very well to this. But ideally a dragon is not going to die the first time you see him. He needs an escape plan. Um which just as an aside too, um escape plans are escape plans or built-in mechanisms for survival are always great when you want to try to keep a villain around. Um this actually players I'm, will find their ways around them though, so just yeah. get ready for that. Well, I am going to go off on a uh on a slight little tangential thing here in a minute um, that relates to this. This is something I had planned for a little bit later in the show. But, um, you know, villain behavior is a is something that's a weird skill to try to learn, trying to, you know, get into that villain mindset. mindset. Yeah. Um, but one way that's always been very effective for me, and this might not work for everybody else, I'm a huge professor, uh, professional wrestling nerd. Absolutely adore professional wrestling. You know, if you like professional wrestling, sweet, we can be friends. If you don't like it, sweet, we can still be friends. Just don't make fun of professional wrestling because I will suplex you through a table. Um, so really quick, in pro wrestling, heels are the bad guys. Um, and there is basically two ends of a spectrum for how to be a bad guy. There is what is known as a monster, and then there is what is known as a chicken shit on the opposite End of the spectrum. One or two. Yeah. So a monster is just one who goes in, kicks all the ass, um, you know, destroys the good guys, you know, and he just looks like an absolute beast the whole time he's doing it. Brock Lesnar is a great example of a monster heel. Uh, Braun Strowman, for anybody watching nowadays, is a great example of a monster heel. Back in the day, Andre the Giant, when he turned into a bad guy, was a monster heel. On the opposite end of that spectrum is the chicken shit, who only shows up when he has an advantage, usually has a bunch of henchmen, and then the minute things even – Start going bad for him. Yeah, the minute things start going poorly for him, he runs. Which is effective and realistic. Don't get me wrong, but your players will hate that. Oh, they will hate that, uh, but if it's used – it's if it's used effectively, it can it, – You can hopefully transfer the hate onto the villain rather than to you as the game master. Yeah, exactly. Um, because that would be bad. But so when it relates, though, to using any archetype, um, I always that's something I always like to keep in mind is usually it's, you know, because it's a spectrum. It's a fine line. Uh, and 
trying to find out if, okay, this person's like their personality is a dominant type. They're going to jump in and they're going to be aggressive. That's one thing. If they're just going to run away the second everything else turns bad, that's another thing. Trying to find that fine line is very helpful. Yeah. But finishing thoughts on the dragon archetype as it's called. Um, This is probably the one that's going to see the most use out of any of these archetypes because this is a character who is a subordinate villain to your main villain. And chances are good, like, while they're important, if they're killed, they can be replaced by another dragon who's going to step up from the ranks. So you're going to see a lot of these compared to the other villains. So moving on to um, – and there's 28 of these, by yeah, the way. we're not going to go through all of them. Yeah, we're not going to go through time. all of them, but we're just – you know, we're going to kind of chip through a couple of the really good ones, the ones that uh, – are very commonly used as villains because this is – I like to think of this as basic villain theory, so to, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Villain theory with Professor Frankfurt. Yeah. Oh, God. I am not – I should not be allowed to teach people anything. Why am I doing this show? Um, so the Magnificent Bastard is an archetype uh, which I am very fond of. This when, is a more of a counterpoint to the mastermind than it is to the dragon for the record. Yes. Um you could also call the Magnificent Bastard the Narcissist, the Showboater. You wouldn't be wrong about that. Is another way to put it. Um, the idea of the Magnificent Bastard is that uh, a, a great idea of a hilarious Magnificent Bastard from uh, pop culture is uh, the uh, is Ben Stiller from Dodgeball. <sighs> White Goodman, that's his name. Yeah, White Goodman is a excellent Magnificent Bastard because he's vain. Um, he's an excellent talker. He's obnoxious, but he's still better than everybody else. And he even has that catchphrase. We're better than you. And I we mean, know it. Yeah. A magnificent bastard has to be better than the players or whatever. There's th- this is, I this is kind of hard to say because pretty much all villains have to be better than PCs unless you, you're running like a squad of six or seven of them because otherwise the PCs are just going to turn them into paste in a couple seconds. Yeah. That's still a problem also. Yeah, but we'll, we'll address that in tactics, which I think we'll be discussing next week. Um, but the Magnificent Bastard makes a great um, a, a great leader of men like the dragon. I think the Magnificent Bastard is a excellent example of uh, – it's similar to the dragon but not as dangerous as They're the dragon. They're also a lot more talkative than the dragon is usually. Yes. Because the dragon's going to show up swords swinging and point you and – you know, make a throat cutting gesture, and the magnificent bastard's going to burst into the scene, declare who they are, why they're here, and why you suck. Yeah, um, and then they also tend to just bore you to death with their talk, which is a lot of fun. If you if you have a party that's into people again who talk a lot of smack, the These magnificent the yeah the magnificent bastard is a great up. archetype to work with. Uh, so the devil incarnate. Is another one. Which is much easier to do in Dungeons & Dragons because we literally have access to devils. Yes. Now, I said before that a character should probably have some sort of motivation for why they're doing what they're doing. This is kind of the counterpoint to it is in Dungeons & Dragons, there are creatures that are literally made out of evil. So it's not unusual they're doing rude, stupid, evil things because they're evil, like with a capital E. If you really need a villain who is – a jerk for no good reason, just pull a devil or a demon out of the bag. Boom, done. It's kind of lazy, but who cares? Right. Save yourself some time. And I mean, this gives you a perfect reason for where they came from and why they're doing this because they're evil. Yeah. Um, but important things about the devil incarnate archetype. Um, 
there is there's another type that is similar to this, uh, but it, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's the butcher. Uh, the devil incarnate, importantly, is like the important distinction about it is they try to make things happen through deals yes. and social negotiation. Um, they make promises, you know, of power, and they manipulate people in positions. A deal at the crossroads, if you will. Yeah. It, just because just because they're actually martially very powerful themselves does not mean that that's the route they take. Yeah, they're not going to show up and start kicking your head in. They're going to, you know, be a starting force for the other villains to come after yeah. you. Another good example. It's just villains all the way down. Yeah. Another good example, too, of the devil incarnate is actually a red dragon. Yes. Or any any evil alignment dragon, but I, when I think devil incarnate, I think red dragon because red dragons are usually the ones who make uh, pacts, pacts and deals. Uh, although blue dragons are also very proficient in legalese, but that's that's enough like dragon specific stuff. Uh, Just don't use white dragons for it. That doesn't make much sense. No, it doesn't. Uh, but blues and reds. Blue and red dragons are both very proficient at being this kind of character because they don't necessarily need to blow everything up all the time. You know, they're dragons. They take their sweet time in plotting. But um, as the old Shadowrun adage goes, never make a deal with a dragon. Because they're always going to get the high end of it. Yeah, because they it's always planned out in their favor. And that's – They're older than you. They've been doing this for longer than you and they're much better than you at it. Yeah. And that's what makes them excellent villains though still is a, a conveniently placed um, – Snake oil salesman in the term of deals with the devil. Yeah. Can One thing you should also note, and not to drop, but no, go ahead. for this kind of villain, for the dragon, you personally as the game master are not nearly as like clever as they are because they're superhumanly clever. So there's a kind of trick you have to do when they come to this incredible plotting with their intelligence third year or whatever. Cheat. <laughs> Just they know what's happening because they predicted it long in advance. How could they have predicted it? They predicted it. They're smarter than you. Yeah. Just do it. It's not hard. Okay. <laughs> there so, you go. That's all there is to it. Yeah. So Devil Incarnate, you know, deal maker. And then we move on to the next one, which is the Beast. This is the simple one. This is Yeah, this is a very simple, straightforward villain, but can be remarkably effective if done right. Uh, this is basically just the living hurricane. You know, this is something that just shows up whoops everybody's ass into the dirt and leaves. Or it chases off the players, which is difficult because most people are suicidally overconfident. Yeah, most minds, people but. think that, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a, well, that's another table-to-table thing, though. You know, it depends because I know I've, I've played in some groups where they're just like, well, if the DM put it here, it means we can kill it, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is metagaming, which is a topic for another show. Yeah. Um, and then there's people on the other side, because um, I've been on both sides. There have been times where I've charged into a situation and I'm just like, we're not going to die to this. And then there's been other times where I've seen like like something sneezed really loudly and I'm just like, I don't like this. We're No, nope, we're Let's done. Go. We're going. <laughs> we're leaving. A more realistic approach for your character perhaps. Yeah. So moving forward though. Uh, this the- character comes out of nowhere. It beats you up and either it leaves or you get away. Yeah, the Juggernaut from Marvel Comics is a excellent example of the Beast because uh, the Beast is still intelligent. Like it has motivations, it has thoughts, it has feelings, but it's not a wild animal. It's not a wild animal. It just doesn't it, care much about thinking. Yeah, it's it's its best abilities is its ability to hit stuff. 
and the juggernaut from the X-Men is a great example of a beast villain. Yeah. So moving on to the last like major archetype we got listed down, unless there's a couple you can think of um, as well, Paul, but uh, the career criminal. Yes. This is one that your players may even be, honestly. Yeah. No, this is typically what a lot of rogues end up being in their backstories. This is somebody who isn't evil because they have a particular reason to be evil. This is somebody who commits things because there's money involved. They commit crimes because they're paid to do so. This is obviously not a very heroic feature, but it also makes them the least likely to be like a font of evil because they're doing this like they punch in, they do their evil deeds, (laughs) they punch out and they go home. So ultimately, uh, these are the kind of characters who will, in tough situations, say, uh, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm not getting killed for this. So these are the these are the ones who don't have the devotion that other ones do. Devotion. That, that kind of makes them interesting in a way because they're much more realistic in their motivations and they decide to like it if things are going poorly. Yeah. Um, they're – you know, it's usually those uh, mafioso types or people hitmen. who hitmen or people who control uh, aspects of the underground. If we're going from a big bad evil guy perspective, um, but the career criminal arc is just the, the nice thing about the career criminal, and this is something else we didn't get into. But there, uh, the career criminal is one of the few archetypes that actually can show a lot of redeemable traits. Yeah, they could become a good guy, assuming that things change yeah uh, you know if their environment changes or if it's not even a very big change necessarily yeah if things are done to facilitate a change in character and in heart then they are a very like they can become a positive npc yeah Um, this is a great opportunity for your paladins by the way yeah and even then if things like that are not done the career criminal is one of the few like big bad evil guys it's like okay i'm out of here yeah well not even that it's uh you can befriend them they are not opposed to having allies. You know, they, they work definitely a lot more in that shades of gray kind of mindset. Um, trying to think like a good example would be basically everybody in the Godfather yeah. is a great example of career criminal. A lot of times they show redemptive traits and they show uh, the ability to p- perhaps turn it around. But at the same time, there's, you know, executions and cutting off horses heads and, you know, a whole lot of nasty business. Well, they're going to do evil, evil things, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're doing it because they're evil. Right. So last, uh, last one we're going to talk about just of these archetypes. And again, we highly recommend you go check out that uh, the article we linked. Uh, we're also going to put it on our website, but it's a lot of great stuff, a lot of great archetype reading, and it can definitely inspire a lot of things. Uh, is going to be the Dark Knight. Yes. You know, basically has their own code of ethics, uh, is still, you it know, might seem strange to you, but it makes sense from their perspective. Yeah. You know, a lot like common ones are no women, no children, uh, things of that nature, only wandering around looking for people who. For more fights, more dangerous fights. The wandering martial arts master happens to be a jerk. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the villain who is looking for a worthy fight, you know, and only takes jobs based on a worthy fight. That's actually a. Really good example of a Dark Knight character. There's an anime called The Get Backers. And uh, there is a character on the show named Dr. Jackal. Um, who I'm only, interested. He only takes jobs based on the uh, ability to 
based on if he thinks it's going to be a fun job. He doesn't care about money. He th- like if it's going to be a challenge for his skills. And um, he doesn't always go around murdering people, but. If it's a challenge, he will. If it's a challenge, he it's will. It's not like he's going to drop by and kick some old lady off the side of a road and beat her to death. That's just not cool. Like, yeah. But, you know, but whenever. A challenge. Yeah. But whenever he is getting paid for it or whenever he just finds it a challenge, uh, the, he turns on the sadistic. And, yeah, it's just a real piece of work. He is easily the best character on the show. Um, another good example of the Dark Knight is Arthas. Yes. Well, Arthas is a lot of things, depending on the Arthas, yeah. Arthas is a lot of things. But Dark Knight, um, I guess a, I guess a better way to phrase it, Arthas, like after getting Frostborn. But before becoming the but Lich King. But before becoming yes. the Lich King from World of Warcraft. Uh, and from Warcraft specifically. Yeah. Um, is a great example of the Dark Knight character. It's pretty straightforward though. They have a code of ethics. They – They follow this. They're not – from their perspective, their code of ethics makes sense and they probably don't think of themselves as wicked or if they do, they they wholeheartedly embrace it. Yeah. Um, in a way, they're sort of a foil to the beast because they think through what they're doing. Yeah. And they only act according to what they think their code is going to have them do. Exactly. I mean, heck, even anti-paladins in Dungeons & Dragons are excellent Dark Knight choices. Yeah. Okay, so really quick, guys, we're going to go take a five-minute break. When we get back, uh, we're going to discuss our successes and failures with our own personal villains. Uh, And we're going to talk about the giveaway a little bit more, and we're going to try to set the table for next week's show, which is going to be a lot more – act like this is more theory kind of stuff. We're going to talk about the – Details. The actual practice of effective villain making. And I think, I, you know, I think for fun, we're going to make a villain on the show next week. Sure. Why not? We could do it. All right. But we're going to take a fiver. We'll be back. Stay with us. Please. Okay. And we are back. Hey. <laughs> like the Fonzie. Hey. <laughs> Sorry about the delay, guys. We are back. So, where were we? All right. So, coming back now, uh, we are going to be talking about, I guess, successes and failures that we personally had um, and or witnessed, but we're going to try pretty hard not to completely chuck somebody under the bus. Oh, yeah. So. Clint's not here. We can throw him under the bus. No, I don't want to throw that poor boy under the bus. Um, so. And we'd also love to hear from you guys, too, uh, on any – like memorable villains that either you as a DM came up with or something you as a player went against, like any stories of that. Uh, if you have any stories like that, send them as a message to us. We'd love to hear them. Uh, might even share them. Might probably will. Uh, <laughs> we love our audience participation. Yeah, we do. So let's get Paul, started. What is your favorite villain that you've ever made? Oh, one that geez. worked with the part, one that worked well against the party, um, that the party legitimately loved fighting like and and you know, kind of kind of sad to see him go a little bit. Geez, this is a really tough question for me because I've got a whole bunch of these people. Uh, um, I guess probably my personal favorite villain uh, would have to be Alucon in my uh, Dungeons the Dragoning game. Okay, uh, he had a clear origin, had a clear motivation. He's dead at the moment. Yep, for now. But everything he did had a sort of clear path A to path B and. While he was evil to the party, he made complete sense about why he was doing what he did because he wanted to bring back his masters from 
the grave. Okay. From the beyond, if you will. And the party was enthralled enough to try to stop him. Yes. Well, that and they felt that they personally didn't like him. So. Which is good. Yeah, that is uh, definitely a – that is a, probably the trickiest bit of doing villain design. And, of course, the best part is they eventually became their own villain at the end. But Well, yeah. <laughs> Make your own villain. It's the PCs. My – so actually, hang on. I got a couple of questions, a few questions about your guy. Shoot. So what exactly was he? Like class? Uh, well – uh, this is a very different system than Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. So. so, Well, if you could try to put it into D&D 5e terms. Um, hmm. He would have been a mystic slash paladin focusing on unarmed combat and the ability to uh, keep people away from him except when he wanted to hurt them. Mm-hmm. He could physically force people to move away from him whenever he wanted and he could make it very difficult or impossible for you to move towards him. Okay. Uh, but specifically on top of that, he was absolutely terrifying in hand-to-hand combat. But that was pretty much it. And in a game with guns, that was a very large disadvantage. Okay. There's some problems involved in that, obviously. So. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, all right. How about your least favorite, like the villain that you put out there and you thought everything was going to go great and then just it it fell flat? Well – didn't really hit the mark. This is going to be a contentious topic with my players, including you, but I think probably my least favorite villain I've uh, run is the Bright Queen because her motivations came off as schizophrenic and yep. didn't make much sense. And while she was aptly mysterious until the very end, when the pieces were revealed, it didn't sort of click into place. It just kind of felt like, okay. Right. And? Well, we had a I, – I would say that we had a – it was a successful ending to the campaign. Yes. I could definitely – I can see, you know, looking back on that game, uh, what you mean by that. We had a lot of like prep and setup and, you know, it was all led into this glorious large final battle against this thing that we didn't quite understand but we just knew it was bad and we were fighting it. Um, but there are too many questions that weren't resolved and when they were resolved, they were unsatisfying. Yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, I'm from that game, uh, I'm going to have to say that, like, to answer one of the questions that we do have, like, one of the favorite enemies you've ever ran into as a player, one of my favorites was that damn vampire you had. <laughs> the vampire that got um, no name, but it had a great spooky introduction. Um, you know, we were down in a dungeon that led to the Underdark uh, because a our – buried city. Yeah, because our wizard, Mike – you dick was the only person who could read the ruins on the door. Um, he said, you know, and it was like a do not enter dangerous, you know, danger, but, you know, please don't go in this room. Abandon all hope. Ye who enter. Um, this door is sealed for a reason. This door is sealed for a reason. Work will set you free. Basically every ominous thing, you know, that you've ever seen on a gate. All plastered across all of it, crisscrossed. Yeah, all across the door. And he just said, oh, no, guys, it's a there's popcorn in here or something. He said something stupid. And even though we knew what it said, we're all just like. Time to put on our stupid hats. We have to, Yeah, we have to play stupid because he's the only one who can read. And we go inside and inside this room, it's covered. It's covered in glowing arcanic runes. And it's there's a great vibe. And then there's just a creepy, like five foot tall, white haired vampire girl. 
that took our entire party of bad, bad men in terms of our ass-kicking ability and just demolished got, you. We got taken to church. Yeah. I spent half the fight <laughs> bleeding. With, bleeding with her on top of me trying to eat me. Um, An unsuccessful first date, if you will. Yeah, no, pretty much. Um, yeah, it took uh, people turning into crocodiles. Uh, we had a new fighter who was in the party who immediately got mind controlled and was just yeah. chasing everybody around the room. And it's like, look at how good my fighter build is, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, dominate person. Yeah, no. So useful. Um, we'll talk about all the uses for dominate person another day. Yeah, but then – and then it was satisfying because, you know, like finally once we started making some ground and then we won – she turned into mist. We tracked her down to where uh, where her coffin was, and it turns out there was ten thousand coffins in there. And we're just like, ah. <laughs> maybe I should go. And we didn't have time to find her. And then we started. We so we left the dungeon and we just started tracking her. And for then I remember those like four sessions we did where the vampire was like the big problem, just sort of going through your town like a. Yeah. Very quiet chainsaw. So. Yeah, no. And it was, but it was a great villain. And like everybody in the party was like super on the same page. Like, A, we were really mad at Mike. <laughs> As you probably should be. Mike, yeah. Yeah. Cause, yeah. No, because he let it out. And then second of all, we were all like, it's our responsibility. We got to We got to kill it. Um, And yeah, it like it never had a name. We didn't know what it did. Like there's still a whole yeah, lot. She wasn't of great- telling anyone anything yeah so. it wasn't telling anybody anything but it was just like super memorable because we had this sense of urgency that we had to fix our own mistake and of course it ended with a great battle in a creepy mansion which yeah, is always fun great fight creepy mansion and i made its heart explode because i charged a smite into a stake because why not right homie don't play that <laughs> homie don't play that game um no sense messing around when it comes to vampires. what is what's your favorite thing that you've ran into as a player Jeez, this is a tough choice. Probably Lazarus Finnegan, the undead ghost pirate. Yeah. Great time. Yeah. That fight was – the fight itself was – Fourth edition d d <laughs> had a problem where the higher level monsters got, the more ridiculous their hit point pools got. Yeah. So we dealt about you know 20 damage an attack and it had uh, – well, Lazarus Finnegan had 1,700 hit points. Yep. So it took a while. No, yeah. Running that fight was a that was a – that was about a four-hour fight. Yes. Oh my god, don't remind me. And just ghost pirates shooting cannons. <sighs> also, it was like the final major fight in that campaign. So Yeah, because that campaign did fall apart. <laughs> right at the very end, too. Yeah, just so close, so close to the finish, but so, so far, far away. But I mean, he, he had a lot of character. He kind of showed up when we knew he was coming because there was some lead up to that in the background. And more importantly than that, he sort of just kind of talked to us for the entire time yeah. of the fight. And he built up his character a lot faster than most players in the party had their character built up. So yeah, no, I uh, I really enjoyed that fight. I wouldn't mind doing it again in the future, but um, in five like adjusting it for five e and also finding a way just to make it go by a little faster because there was a lot of moving machinations. Basically, to sum up the fight with Lazarus Finnegan, it was a fight on uh, the equivalent of the Flying Dutchman, and there were. Uh, ghost pirate crew running around with ghost pirate cannons, basically chasing the party around with ghost cannons on the deck of the ship, shooting at them while this giant pirate ghost is just trying to cut them down with a saber. Um, yeah, no, he was he was a lot of fun to run. He was your creation, but I did uh, I did take creative control once he once belonged, he died once he belonged to me, and I yeah after I'd killed the character. Um, 
<sighs> All right. Let's see. Least favorite uh, boss that you've ever played against. Again, this is going to be revealing a, uh, a game that you haven't played. But um, the battle with a mob leader in Mike's game just was supposed to be this big dramatic moment. Was it Shadowrun? Yes. Okay. Shadowrun, um, this person had led to uh, the char- my, my character's father's death because he felt that he was a liability to the local mafia. But he just kind of went down instantaneously. I mean, Shadowrun has a tendency to do that, but you'd feel there'd be some sort of like contractual boss immunity to that. So you're just getting shot in the face and dying. Right. <laughs> the, I the, mean, it's the realistic. Anti, yeah, but the anticlimactic. It's uh, like, oh, it's over. Oh, all, all of that for nothing. <sighs> well, so it goes. Yep. All right. Let's see. Um, What's the least favorite one you've ever played against? The least favorite one I've ever played against um, – Come on, throw me into the bus here. I'm not going to throw you under the bus. Actually, it's it's actually going to be Clint, which Oof, is going to make Clint. Fado really happy. But I I will be very fair to Clint, though. This was his first villain, and he just overdid it. Like he went way over the top to try to uh, put us back in line because he, you know, very new DM dealing with two very experienced players, and um, I'm I'm not going to lie, we did put the screws to him a little bit. We, you know. Uh, gotta Mary, Mary made some very aggressive decisions, um, you know, things that he was not expecting. And his response was basically a lich type villain. And we're all granted, we're only like level four, level five. And so we had just declared ourselves the new rulers of this island because of well, good planning and dramatic choices. Yeah, shenanigans, political shenanigans. We wound up taking over the island. And so while we're sitting there going, yeah, look at us, we've taken over the island. It literally shows up with about 20 wizards and they all cast fireball at the same time while we have a rally going. At wow. which point all of us Rude. took all of the money out of the uh, out of the bank <laughs> that belonged to the island and we just ran away. As you probably sailed should. off the island because yeah, when homies got 25th level wizards, that's bad news. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Um bad news. You know, we talked him through it though because all of us like wanted to fight the thing but legitimately is like this is a little like y- you made it too strong yeah you came off a bit uh bit strong there yeah and yeah, just came off really strong and so it was pretty intimate like as a player i immediately went from okay how can we possibly try to fight this thing to nope help nope nope, nope. how far can we leg it without getting yeah. in trouble from the game master exactly how how far are we allowed to travel and how many carpets from the nice house we had can we take um that was my least favorite. Um, let's see. Probably the worst enemy, uh, the worst villain I've ever put out there was. It's always a tough choice throwing yourself under the bus. No, huh? I know. it's No, there's a, there's a couple of them who just it didn't work. Um, and it was – and it's like became very apparent pretty quickly that no one cared. No one cared about the villain so much. Uh, he was just more of an annoyance. Uh, but if I'm going to narrow that down, probably going to have to say Arkenfell, my very first villain. Yes. Um, just had a lot of surprise factor. Um, and even though I knew all the lore and everything that was behind it and 
Granted, you guys never got to the end of the campaign and you never got to know exactly what was up with him. Um, but that, we just weren't that intimidated by him. No, like, he was just – he was more annoying and he just showed up every now and again and just like, hi, I'm pain in the ass. OK, bye. Um, now, that being said, though, he – like once I got better at DMing, um, probably the best villain I've ever done is like the most recent major arc that I did – uh, and that was with a character that I literally had to come up with when I was half drunk. Um, so it goes. Uh, but that's Alamar Ryzen, who wound up becoming a vampire, uh, who was very good at putting the screws to the party. Yeah. Um, Always a good trait in the villain. Oh, and he successfully killed a member of the party, like very sadistically in front of everybody else and just inspired the utmost hatred. Like they already hated him before. And like my players told me like how they – just could not stand him. But then after the murder happened, um, like they all, they all were actually mad at me for a little bit. Like after the session, they were just like, how could you afraid you're going to get beaten up in the parking lot once you finish? Uh, Oh no, I'd telling them I'd win that fight, but still, uh, yeah. And they are all thoroughly convinced, even though he's dead, they're all thoroughly convinced that he is not dead. And that I am just waiting for the day he's hiding. Yeah, that he is going to come back, even though he's dead. Um, so with that, I think that's all of our time this week. I think we've run over a bit, but yep. so it goes. Well, we're, we're over by about a minute right now, so we're just going to do the quick wrap-up thangy-poo really quick. So we're going to talk um, – so this week was, yeah, it was just kind of light villain theory kind of stuff. We'll talk about more about the intricate details the, next week. Yeah, the actual making a villain and how to frame him against your players. Um so one more time, uh, we are the 3DMs podcast. We record out of podcast Detroit in Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, if you're in the southeastern Michigan area and you want to start your own podcast, check out Podcast Detroit. Reasonable rates, great people to work with, great equipment, very comfortable. Excuse me. Um, we're doing a giveaway. I should yep. remind you. When we reach 500 likes, we're going to give out two books to two lucky people. That is to say one book to each, peop- uh, each person, not two books to two people. That would be – Bit pricey. No special editions. But once we reach 500 likes, we're going to do a drawing and whoever wins is going to get a book shipped to them. We can even sign it if you want. I think that about covers it though. Yeah, that pretty much covers it. Um, yeah, so it's just us two this week. Uh, more villains talk next week and – Hopefully there will be people here for that. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. And if anybody else has any ideas for any shows or anything you want to hear us talk about on the show, please get a hold of us. We love talking to you guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, with that though – Oh, and last but not least, uh, you can find our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud now. Um, so, yeah, just go go look for 3DMs and it should be available on a couple other things. The only thing I know we're definitely not on is Spotify. It's it's still – we're in a weird area where things are getting uploaded to different places. Uh, check our, out our Facebook for our official website, which we're adding more and more stuff to. Every day. And I think that's about it. I think that's it. All right. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And we're done. Enjoy this. Enjoy the superb owl. Have a good week. Hey, wait for it. Wait for it. Fear blood, ranger, ranger, barbarian, magician, cavalier, and acrobat. Avenger, the force of evil. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons.
And wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Stop streaming, stop recording. Okay, that one's done. And turn on.